Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. We would love to see you in person on Sunday mornings at 9.15 or 10.45 a.m. at our new location at 5103 Pegasus Court. To learn more about what Sunday mornings at Collective look like, please head to mycollective.church and click on what to expect. There are going to be a lot of great things at Collective this summer as Maryland opens up, so stay tuned for upcoming events and announcements as we continue to try to make an impact in our city. Now here's Sunday's message. Before we get started, if you couldn't tell from the Maroon 5 song the band just played, today's message is about sex. Uh, So... If you couldn't figure that out, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, But that means if you have children in here that are birthed through fifth grade and you don't want to answer some uncomfortable questions later, you should bring them to Collective Kids. Uh, We have an incredible environment set up that is specially designed for them. They will learn. They will have fun. They will be surrounded by other awesome kids that your awesome kid wants to be around. Um, Just as a matter of fact as well, if you are new to Collective, um, I never think about birth through fifth graders when writing messages for this church. Uh, I think about you. And I do think about your middle schoolers and high schoolers as well because I think they need to hear this stuff now rather than later on in their life when they realize, hey, something might not be what they want it to be. And so Collective Kids will always be the best place for your fifth graders down to younger, um, but especially today. So feel free, take your kids back to Collective Kids. Um, The team knows I'm giving this disclaimer, so they, they fully expect people to check kids right now. Uh, So Tuesday was a big day this week. Does anybody know what it was? Come on, people were better than that. Pumpkin spice lattes came out on Tuesday. Come on. Okay. So a few weeks ago, like I was out and I was listening to a message that CT preached and apparently he dogged me because I like pumpkin spice. And so I've been saying this for four years. I love pumpkin spice lattes and I literally do not care what you think about that. Uh, In fact, I got an email this week from Starbucks and they said, I drank so many PSLs last year that I'm a spice celebrity. (laughs) Yep. Yep, if you got that, by the way, come find me upstairs. I want to I meet somebody else that's as basic as me. Um, and legitimately, what they did, though, is they gave me a free Starbucks drink. And so I think Collective needs to change my title. So, Miranda, if we could put a new title slide up there. Uh, you, this is it from now on. It, you don't need to call me Lee Pat, any of that stuff. Michael, Spice Celebrity, uh, this is a dream come true. And also, this doesn't have anything to do with the sermon today. I'm just trying to give some people some time to get kids out of here before they hear, yeah, before they hear the SCX word again. And that that should be plenty of time. So uh, let's talk about sex. And some of you are uncomfortable already. And here's the truth. We're all going to be a little bit uncomfortable today. Uh, If you think listening to a sermon about sex is awkward, try preaching it, okay? My parents watch this stuff. My mom's watching this right now. So, you know, at least she's at home and she'll be uncomfortable by herself. So last week, (laughs) I don't want to see her after this. Uh, So last week we started this series called 808s and Heartbreaks. And the focus is on healthy dating relationships and healthy marriages. And I said this last Sunday, but I want to say it again. This series truly is for everyone. And the hope is that if you're married, it helps make your marriage stronger. And the hope is that if you're single or dating, or maybe one day you want to get married, it gives you the tools to start cultivating a healthy marriage right now. Because that is what God wants for us. In fact, one of the foundational truths of Christianity is that God wants what is best for us. God wants what is best for our marriages. 
He wants what's best in our dating relationships. He wants what's best for us when it comes to our finances, our, our mental health, our emotional health, our social life. Ultimately, if we care about something, God cares more about that thing. And we know this is true because Jesus says this in John 10, 10. He says, my purpose is to give them, meaning us, a rich and satisfying life. Another translation says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Right? So Jesus came to give us the best life possible. And Jesus came to give us the fullest and most satisfying life possible. And we learn what that life looks like through reading the Bible. And so that's what we're gonna do today. Because Jesus says that he came to show us a better way to live. And what Jesus is saying is that the better way is God's way, not the church's way, not culture's way, God's way. So as we move into week two of this series, we're gonna talk about what God wants sex to look like in our lives. And more importantly, how sex impacts our marriages or our future marriages. So the first thing that we have to understand is this. And if you haven't started taking notes, this is a good one to write down. Sex was God's idea. Right, sex was God's idea. People did not invent sex, right? I know that some of you think you're very creative, but you aren't that creative, okay? <laughs> sex was God's idea. But the problem is that most of us grew up thinking that sex is inherently bad, that sex is shameful, that sex is dirty, that it's taboo, but sex was God's idea. And God didn't make sex bad, he made sex good. I mean, check this out. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, God creates the world as we know it. Land, sea, sky, animals, plants, all of it. Then God creates a man named Adam. Then seeing that Adam is alone, he creates a woman named Eve to be his wife. And this is the first thing that God says to them in Genesis 1. He says, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. This is legitimately the first command ever given to man. Right? The first command wasn't to go and pray. It wasn't to read your Bible. It wasn't to work the land. It was brief, be fruitful and multiply. Right? This was God's plan for procreation and for intimacy for people. Right? God's not even like, hey, Adam, hey, Eve, I'm God. He's like, go, just go have sex, okay? Now, it probably didn't happen that way, okay? We don't know like, the full thing of it. Well, what God is saying to Adam and Eve was that he created everything good that was in the world, and sex is a part of that. And remember, at this point in time, there was no sin, there was no pain, there was no shame, there was no brokenness. Everything was perfect, including sex. And the problem is that the church and our culture have swung in two very different directions when it comes to this. And when it comes to church, you can sum up the history of sex in the church with one word, don't. A few hundred years ago, Jesus died and resurrected from the dead. And there was this man named Jerome who was an early church father, which just means he was a leader in the early church. And he issued an edict to husbands warning them that if they enjoyed sex with their wives too much, they were sinning against God. And for some reason, the church ran with this for a very long time. In fact, at different points in church history, sex was outlawed on Thursdays because that's when Jesus was arrested. It was, out, <laughs> it was outlawed on Fridays because that's when Jesus died. It was outlawed on Saturdays in honor of the Virgin Mary. And it was outlawed on Sundays in honor of people who had died and gone to heaven. Then it was outlawed in 40-day fasting periods leading up to Christmas and Easter. So the end result was that there were only 44 days, according to the official church, when you were allowed to have sex. Now, just so we're clear, that's not in the Bible. I don't think anybody would be a Christian if that was in the Bible. <laughs> and at Collective, like, we have this unofficial policy that states there are 365 days a year for sex, and there's 366 on leap years. Because sex is a gift, right? It is a gift from God. And when intimacy happens within God's design, 
It is the most pleasurable and amazing thing that produces so much life. And if you were a teenager in the church in the late 90s like me, this might be hard for you to hear because you were told to kiss dating goodbye and that the best approach to sex was to stay as far away as possible. And that's largely the problem with the church's approach. But the problem with trusting culture's approach about sex is that it's all about what feels good. It's about what we want. It's about our desires. To be honest, it's arrogant and prideful. And culture ignores how God created us and how God created sex. You see, sex was God's idea, but we think we know better. And because we think we know better, we choose our own rules. We choose our own way. And we've taken this great thing that God created and we've twisted it and manipulated it and distorted it so it no longer reflects the heart of God. So one of the things that you are going to have to wrestle with today is where does your sexual ethic come from? Right? Does it come from the church you grew up in? Does it come from culture? Does it come from that book you read that one time? The 30 minutes you spent online Googling things? your feelings, your wants and desires? Does it come from the other person that you are in a relationship with? Do you kind of treat it like Chipotle where you kind of pick all the ingredients that you like and leave out the stuff that you don't like? Or does it come from God in scripture? Because it doesn't matter who you are or really what you believe or what your relationship status looks like, you have to decide what influences how you view sex inside and outside of marriage. At Collective, one of our core values is that we are rooted in truth. And what that means is that we trust that the Bible teaches us a better way to live, John 10, 10. So anyone that preaches on this stage teaches from a place that God and scripture are the ultimate authority when it comes to sex, money, friendships, faith, everything. So that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look at what the Bible teaches. And we're gonna look at how Jesus talks about sex and marriage. And this is probably one of the most well-known instances when he talks about this topic. And just like what we read last week in 1 Corinthians, this is used at weddings all the time. And so you've probably heard it before. This is what Jesus says about sex and marriage in Mark 10. He says, but God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. And Jesus, what he's doing here is he's actually quoting God. In Genesis 2, after Adam and Eve are formed, God says this to them. And so God explains the exact same thing. He says, God made us, God made our desires, God made our urges. And this has been true since the beginning of time. Jesus continues, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And to hear some context for this, uh, when God back in the day recognized marriage, it wasn't when there was a wedding dress and a groomsman and a cake and some dude like me who like signed paperwork for you, right? That's not when the marriage was sealed. The marriage was real when the husband and wife consummated the marriage. Like that's when it was official, when they had sex. So Jesus is saying that since the beginning of time, sex was designed for marriage for a husband and a wife. And I've read this verse for years. In fact, I've, done, I've used this at every single wedding that I've ever performed. But it took until listening to another pastor this summer before I learned the depth of the word joined that Jesus uses. The word joined means so much more than we think. Quite literally, it actually means to be glued. But even more than that, the, the word means that when you have sex with another person, you are joined physically, you are joined emotionally in intimacy, and you are joined in a covenant or a promise spiritually. So when Jesus talks about sex, he's saying that this is a big deal because it's not just a physical act. Right? It's an emotional and spiritual act as well. And it glues you to another person. It connects you to another person physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And science backs this up. Scientists have found that we are fundamentally hardwired for intimacy, and there are actually additional systems in our brains that wire us to connect with one person together for life, 
which makes sense because God created us that way. They've also found that more happens during sex than just a momentary experience of pleasure. When we are intimate, chemicals are released in our brains that bond us together. Vasopressin is primarily released in male brains and oxytocin primarily in females. However, when we bond, then break, bond, then break, bond, then break, we actually damage our brain and our capacity to bond strongly to the next person. Right? Sex bonds you to the person you are being intimate with. But let's actually take this a step further because it's actually not just about sex. It's about pornography as well. A study came out a few years ago where they were researching the addictive nature of pornography. And so researchers brought in a group of volunteers and hooked them up to wires to measure how they would respond physiologically to pornographic images. And what they found was no surprise, right? Their palms began to sweat, their pupils dilated, and their heart rate went up, just like during sex. But here's what they hadn't told the volunteers that was actually the whole point of this study. When they had the pornography on the computer screen, they'd actually taken a baseball hat and put it on top of the computer. It had nothing to do with what was going on the screen, and they didn't say anything about it. That baseball hat just happened to be there. So a couple weeks after this study, they brought everyone back in, they hooked them up to the wires again, and then they handed them a baseball hat. There was no computer in sight. There was no pornography in sight. And what they found was that as soon as they had the baseball hat in their hands, their palms began to sweat, their pupils became dilated, and their heart rate went up. Right? Because sex is designed to attach you to the person in front of you, and if you, will, if you abuse it, it will attach you to the object in front of you. This is why pornography has such a negative impact on marriage. Right? You're bonding yourself to something other than your spouse. A phone, a computer screen, a hat. And then what you're trying to do is rebond with your spouse. Researcher Dr. Dr. Patrick Fagan completed a major study on pornography and called it the quiet family killer. His study found that 56% of divorces had one partner with, a, with an obsessive interest in porn. Another study by NPR found the same thing. Married men and women who look at pornography are more likely to get divorced than men and women who do not. And it isn't just your current marriages that it'll screw up. For those of you who are single or dating, your decision to look at porn will have a negative impact on your future marriage. And I can speak to this personally. When Ray and I got married, one of the biggest issues we faced for the first few years of our marriage was that I had a very distorted view of sex and intimacy because of years of consuming pornography. And so if this is a struggle that you are having right now and you are watching it destroy your marriage or you're feeling it destroy your marriage, or if you're struggling with this right now and you know it's gonna mess up your future marriage, the best thing that you can do is talk about it with someone. The best thing that you can do is find accountability in a friend that you trust and then put up filters on your phone. And so we actually have two apps that we recommend. They're called Covenant Eyes and Ever Accountable. Both are great. And there are men and women in this church that use these apps and their marriages are stronger of it. Let's get back to what Jesus was saying. So remember, he's talking about a husband and a wife, and they're joined together. And he says, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So you read that and you think, is Jesus saying the same thing twice? Yes, he is. Listen, Jesus didn't have kids, but he had full parent moves every once in a while when it came to the disciples. He wants them to fully understand that when we have sex, we are no longer two but one, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I think we often hear this verse as don't have an affair. Or if you grew up in the church, you might've heard it probably as don't cause an affair. Sure, that, that's part of it. But what Jesus is also saying is that he doesn't want us to bond and break with people outside of marriage, to bond and break with strangers on a phone, to bond then break, to bond then break. 
God created sex with the intention of us being joined to one person for life. And just like we talked about last week, the Apostle Paul actually expounds on what Jesus is teaching in one of his letters to the church in Corinth. So he takes Jesus's lesson and he brings more out of it. And this is what he writes in 1 Corinthians, uh, starting in uh, chapter two, verse seven, or chapter seven, verse two. He says, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have their own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and, then, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves over more completely to prayer. So married couples, uh, and I recognize this is unfair for single people, people who are dating, and I get that, uh, just being really honest, it is really hard to follow Jesus sometimes as a single person, um, as an unmarried person. And we recognize that um, temptation is harder and life can be a little bit harder. Uh, it's not because God loves you less or anything like that. And so we just want you to know that. Um, but I do have some homework for, for our married people. So here's your homework this week. Write this down. Go have sex. Seriously, <laughs> go have sex. Husband, fulfill your wife's needs. Wives, fulfill your husband's needs. Make intimacy a priority. That's what Paul's saying. Like, this is a priority. The only time you should stop is to pray. Some of you are like, I don't pray. Well, okay then, right? <laughs> <laughs> but maybe, okay, so maybe you hear that and you're like, hey, I'm struggling in my own marriage with intimacy. Then your homework is to go and sit down and talk about it, right? Because the truth is a lot of you brought baggage into your marriage because you thought it was wrong or thought it was dirty or thought it was messy. And so you don't even talk about it with your own spouse. And so you need to talk about your desires. Men and women need to talk about your insecurities. You need to talk about the barriers that get in the way. Have the uncomfortable conversation so you can build comfort in your sex life. This is legitimately one of the reasons we are hosting date night on September 11th. Y'all think I'm kidding, okay? The band was joking nine months from now, there's gonna be a lot more babies. Hey, if that happens, I want naming rights, okay? Like that's the rule. But some of you need to come and drop your kids off at the building and then head home, okay? Uh, yep, you got three hours, you'll figure it out. Some of you need to drop your kids off at the building and then honestly, you need to go sit down and have a conversation with your spouse about this topic, topic last week, one of the topics in the two weeks coming up. Either way, if you are a parent and you have kids, you do not have the excuse of babysitting because we've got you covered. And signups are actually open right now. There are 30 spots available. Uh, if you sign up right now during the sermon, we kind of know what's going on. Um, but our challenge to you is take a date night, invest in your relationship, right? You won't regret it. Here's why. Almost every survey they do about sex, here's what they find. That happily married people ultimately have more happily ever after sex. Non-Christian researchers, researchers, which is really important, have found that people who follow Jesus report significantly higher relationship satisfaction, better communication patterns, less consideration of divorce, and better sexual quality. They've also found that the more religious a married couple, the more frequent and satisfying their sex. And one thing that's really important about this study, it's not people who did it completely perfect into their marriage. Right? That, that's not what this is saying. This is people who are saying, hey, I'm married and I'm investing in Jesus and they have a ton of baggage that they brought into it, but they're trying to live the best life that Jesus has for them. They're trying to trust Jesus when it comes to this. It says religious people who are married by far and away have the best sex lives. They have the, they have the most frequent sex, the most satisfying sex, the most fun sex, and the longest lived sex. And Christian women reported the most satisfying sex and the most fulfilling sex if you know what I mean. So the same researchers found that those with no religious affiliation rated their sexual satisfaction as way down in comparison, right? So God tells us a better way to live and research backs it up. And so write this one down. Christians have better sex. They do. That's what the studies say. God promises that. And then we see it in our own society, 
Now, some of you are ready to get baptized right now because you want some of that. It's a slow your roll, okay? You can check the baptism box, but we're gonna have a conversation with you. If there's 50 baptisms next week, y'all know why. But God created sex to be something that is life-giving, right? That fills us up physically and emotionally and spiritually. Something that's safe, that's vulnerable in the best way, something that's fun. But God created it the way he did because he knows best. At the beginning of this message, I read John 10, 10, but I actually only read the second half of it. Um, Here's all of what Jesus said there. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And when he says the thief, he's talking about Satan. And he tells us that Satan's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his number one purpose for you in your life, to kill, steal, and destroy your peace, to kill, steal, and destroy your self-confidence, your marriages, your relationships, your joy, everything, even your sex lives. And the reason we know that Satan is succeeding in this, outside of the fact that we as people try to choose our own ways, is because the number one emotion tied to sexual intimacy is shame. Shame is the painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed because of something we've experienced or done. As Psychology Today puts it, we as a culture are swimming in sexual shame. And maybe some of you feel that way because of decisions that you made before you were married or because of that one night stand in college that you still hold on to or because you're unfaithful in your marriage or because you're struggling with pornography or because you're married but your sex life isn't what you expected it to be or because you were told your whole entire life that sex is bad. And even though you followed God to the T, you got married and it just doesn't seem right. So you feel shame. Here's what you need to know. Shame does not come from God. Shame entered the world when Adam and Eve chose to do their own thing and ignored God's advice regarding the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Shame was never a part of God's plan. It's not a tool that he uses for you in your life. Shame is not part of the rich and satisfying life. You see, God's desire for your life, including your sex life, is that you experience things the way he designed them, not that you experience shame. And you do not need to feel shame because of the past mistakes that you have made or mistakes in your present, or even, to be honest, the mistakes that you will make in your future. That's not what God wants for you. Here's what I wanna end with. And this is important because I I know this church well enough to know that there are people here that are struggling with today's topic. And to be honest, I know know there are people that are listening and watching online today who are gonna say, hey, I don't know if I agree with all this. And that's okay. Because the truth is your faith is your faith. Like your relationship with God is your relationship with God. And that's between you and him. Like all we're trying to do is help people have a better marriage, to take steps in the right direction. We know that God promises us a better way to live. And so we wanna trust what he says in regard to that. And I bet, and I bet if you gave God's way a shot this week, you would see a little bit more of that rich and satisfying life that he's talking about. If you stopped playing marriage with that boy or girl that you're dating, or if you stopped playing marriage and you actually got married, if you blocked those websites, if you found someone you trust to talk about your struggles with pornography, if you unfriended that person on social media that you know you shouldn't be connected with, if you had an honest conversation about sex with your spouse, if you made sex a priority with your spouse, you would see the positive impact on your current marriage or your future marriage. And you would see the positive impact on how you see yourself. And you would notice that the shame that we all carry would start to disappear. But even if you choose not to do any of those things, you choose your own way, your own path, culture's way, whatever, Chipotle way, instead of God's, here's what we need to know. 
is what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, and I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing you have done, nothing you are doing. Even if you disagree with God, ignore God, or don't even trust God, he still loves you. That love is still there. Nothing separates you from the love of God. Love that is patient. Love that is kind. Love that treats you as uncommon. Love that doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love that protects and hopes and trusts and perseveres. Nothing can separate us from that love. And if anyone has ever told you that you are outside of the love of God or that you didn't belong to a church or that you couldn't receive grace because of decisions that you have made, especially in regard to sex, I'm very sorry. That is not from God. That is not how he sees you. He says that you are lovable and you are loved. And the truth is God wants what is best for us, but whatever decision we make, he still loves us unconditionally. And there's nothing we can do to make God love us more than he already does. And there's nothing we can do to make him love us less, nothing. During first service, we celebrated what that unconditional love looks like. And we baptized a guy named James. It'll be up on social media this week so you can check it out. But James made the decision to get baptized because he's come to the realization that he is nothing without Jesus. But his story is complicated. A little over a year ago, James and I were talking and he shared with me that his addiction had left him being found DOA on multiple occasions. And somehow by the grace of God, he had been brought back to life every single time. And then he said something that I'll never forget. It'll sit with me for the rest of my life. He says, I know that Jesus has always been with me, but I've spent so much of my time choosing death and I'm ready to choose life. So we celebrated that at first service. Here's the truth. No matter what we talk about, it's not easy, right? Life is not easy. Following Jesus does not make life perfect. But the truth is following Jesus will make a life full of the love of Jesus. And nothing, nothing we do can separate us from that love. Let's pray. God, we don't understand God, we don't really understand the word nothing. You say that nothing can separate us from your love. That's, that's not something we get. The truth is because we feel like we've been separated. God, our people have told us that we're separated. So God, because of that, we carry this shame with us about our past decisions, about stuff we do in private, God, about the decisions we made years ago. God, we carry that with us and it's become so much of our identity that we often don't know what to do with it. So God, I, I just pray today that of all the things that we take away, God, the thing that we start with is that you love us and that your love is unconditional and nothing gets in the way of that love. No decision that we've made, no lack of trust we have in you, no frustration we have toward you gets in the way of that. God, I pray that that unconditional love and the love that we talked about last week, I pray that that's the overflow of who we are that it's seen in our marriage and in our dating relationships and our friendships, ultimately in our life. Because the truth is, God, that's what we need. God, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for not forcing our identity to be the decisions that we've made, but allowing our identity to be found in you that's full of grace and full of love, things that we don't deserve, but that we need to hold on to. God, we love you and pray these things in your name.